Welcome to Messy Leadership, a podcast for ultra-ordinary leaders in the midst of the mess. I'm Ryan Weaver. In this first episode of Season 1, we are going to focus on a subject that impacts each of us holistically. Worldview. So let's get right into it. Here we go. Let's get messy. If I asked you to describe your worldview to me, what words would you use to explain the way you interpret the world around you? Would you use economic or political language? Would you describe concepts related to your ethical or religious beliefs? Would you speak of morality and social responsibility? Would you express the unalienable rights of all for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Would you dwell on death or your view of life after death? Worldview is the framework through which we interpret the world around us. Worldview is the story of the world that operates at the center of every person's life. And every person has a worldview shaped by our cultural context and personal experiences. The study of worldview is a study in philosophy, a set of ideals, and a study in history, a specific period in time. And messy leaders tend to be the type of people who have a well-defined view of the world around them. We have reached some conclusions which allow us to be motivated to move through the messiness of life with firm conviction and captivating vision. The key to this messy leadership approach is humility of heart and life, especially as it relates to worldview. We must constantly do the work of deconstruction and reconstruction, questioning our foundational assumptions and listening to the stories of others in order to reach a place of generous and compassionate understanding. About a year ago, I had a conversation with a friend of mine about the importance of worldview in the postmodern context. Dr. Timothy Stock is a philosophy professor at Salisbury University. We launched into this particular conversation because I was doing some research on worldview for a writing project, and Tim is one of the smartest guys I know. In our conversation, the simple truth that Tim and I were both adamant about is that worldview reductionism is dangerous. When messy leaders begin a business relationship, make a networking contact, or develop a personal friendship with someone new, we are each forced to make some foundational assumptions about the other person in order for the relationship to move forward with momentum. And yet, it is all too common for us to interpret and reduce the worldview of others based on our pre-established foundational assumptions and our own limited understanding. And really, that's the key, understanding. At one point in our conversation, Tim said this profound statement that I still haven't gotten over. He said, What kind of love can someone have for the other which is born from the fruit of ignorance? One more time. What kind of love can someone have for the other which is born from the fruit of ignorance? 
In order for messy leaders to truly understand others in our lives, we have to be willing to develop compassion for the other. Compassion is the birthplace for trust and love. And worldview reductionism is so very dangerous without compassion. The equation for messy leaders works something like this. Try to visualize this with me. Understanding precedes compassion. Compassion precedes trust. Trust precedes love. Understanding precedes compassion. Compassion precedes trust. Trust precedes love. I'm now going to move this podcast into another realm of thinking with a story from the life and leadership of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. This story expresses the importance of cultivating an awareness that leads to understanding as leaders in the midst of the mess. In the spring of 1963, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. left Atlanta, Georgia to lend his support to the organization of a broad, nonviolent civil rights demonstration and economic boycott campaign in the city of Birmingham, Alabama. On April 10th, in response to the ongoing and planned future protests, the Commissioner of Public Safety and Police Chief attained an injunction from the state of Alabama against all public demonstrations in the city of Birmingham. Eugene Bull Connor was Birmingham's pro-segregationist commissioner of public safety. Connor was a contentious and notoriously violent man who had recently lost his runoff bid for mayor. The racial and social divide in Birmingham was more evident than ever before. When the protests continued, after the issuance of the injunction, the all-white law enforcement agencies and the all-white government officials responded violently to the peaceful demonstrations across Birmingham. Commissioner of Public Safety Bull Connor and Police Chief Jamie Moore directed the use of high-pressure fire hoses and police attack dogs against the civil rights activists. These activists included the children of many protesters in the streets of Birmingham. On April 12th of 1963, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was among a large gathering of civil rights activists and black citizens at 16th Street Baptist Church. That day, the leaders of the Birmingham protest campaign, including Dr. King, decided to defy the injunction with a march. The marchers, from age 15 to age 81, were prepared to be arrested. And they were. On Good Friday, the day Dr. King and the other marchers were arrested, a group of eight white clergymen in the city of Birmingham wrote an open letter calling the whole community to renounce the protest tactics that had caused unrest in the city. The letter asked black community leaders to protest through legal means in the courtroom instead of marching in the city streets. And it was this open letter from his fellow clergyman that prompted Dr. King to draft the soon-to-become-famous letter 
from his own cell in Birmingham City Jail. On April 16th, of 1963, Dr. King addressed the letter from Birmingham jail to these clergymen who had denounced his nonviolent activities by naming his actions in Birmingham as unwise and untimely. In the letter, Dr. King placed the struggle against injustice in the wide global context, and he spoke directly to the clashing of worldviews that had caused this tension-filled moment in 1963. In one of the most bold and clear declarations against the temptation for humans to compartmentalize local injustice while ignoring the individual responsibility of the whole global human community, Dr. King wrote these words. I am cognizant of the interrelatedness of all communities and states. I cannot sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned about what happens in Birmingham. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. After his eventual release from the Birmingham jail, Dr. King read his letter publicly on several instances. The following is a segment of one of these recordings made by Dr. King, which is now available in the public domain. In this clip, Dr. King opens the reading of his letter with a clear appeal to the clergyman for understanding. Dr. King is documenting some essential facts to refute the false claims about why he was even in Birmingham to begin with. But if you listen closely, you will also hear that Dr. King is speaking from a place of steadfast compassion for his fellow clergymen. These eight men have misunderstood his motives and proven that they have very little understanding of the worldview from which he leads. My dear fellow clergymen, while confined here in the Birmingham City Jail, I came across your recent statement calling my present activities unwise and untimely. Seldom do I pause to answer criticism of my work and ideas. If I sought to answer all the criticism that criticisms that cross my desk, my secretaries would have little time for anything other than such correspondence in the course of the day, and I would have no time for constructive work. But since I feel that you are men of genuine goodwill and that your criticisms are sincerely set forth, I want to try to answer your statement in what I hope will be patient and reasonable terms. I think I should indicate why I am here in Birmingham, since you have been influenced by the view which argues against outsiders coming in. I have the honor of serving as president of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, an organization operating in every southern state with headquarters in Atlanta, Georgia. We have some 85 affiliated organizations across the South and one of them is the Alabama Christian Movement for Human Rights. But more basically, I'm in Birmingham because injustice is here. 
Do you hear Dr. King's passion to establish a foundation of understanding for the social injustice that was the reality for black citizens in Birmingham? He is prepared to reply to the criticism, but his overarching goal was to shift the conversation from a single moment when he was arrested on Good Friday in Birmingham to the very reason for the protests to begin with. In this next segment, Dr. King will build upon this foundational appeal for understanding with the words that I quoted a few moments ago. And if you listen deeply, you will hear Dr. King begin to speak toward a fundamental difference of worldview that needed to be considered with humility if human justice was to be achieved for all citizens in Birmingham and for all citizens in the United States of America. In this recording, Dr. King will give us a glimpse into the story at work in the very center of his own vision for the world. cognizant of the interrelatedness of all communities and states, I cannot sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned about what happens in Birmingham. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly, affects all indirectly. The life and actions of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. inspired hundreds of thousands of people around the world into action for peace and against injustice. The words that Dr. King wrote to his brother clergy members should be held in direct tension when we consider our own approach to worldview. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. I believe that the struggle for justice is a battle worth fighting as much in our present cultural context as it was in Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s cultural context of the civil rights movement in the 1960s. The cultural setting of our story doesn't just influence the way we think, the language we speak, where we live, the music we listen to, the food we enjoy, or the clothes we wear. The cultural setting influences every aspect of our lives. Culture impacts our story holistically. And whether we like it or not, our cultural context shapes our perceptions of the world around us and influences our inhibitions toward understanding the worldview of others in our lives. Messy leaders must be willing to take on a posture of understanding as we interact with those we lead, those we do business with, and even those who we consider our direct industry competitors. In order to effectively lead in our cultural setting, we must cultivate awareness that leads to understanding. The inescapable network of mutuality in which we are all caught demands that messy leaders push back on the temptation toward worldview reductionism in favor of the hard work of understanding. The single garment of destiny in which we are all tied demands that messy leaders 
ruthlessly seek out ignorance in the pursuit of understanding. Ignorance is excusable for messy leaders only if we are willing to do the work of compassion in our relationships. Once our ignorance is exposed, what we do next is the true test of our character as messy leaders. And once again, the equation for understanding that leads to love probably looks something like this. Understanding leads to compassion. Compassion leads to trust. Trust leads to love. So now I'm wondering, what understanding do you have for others that is born from the fruit of ignorance? And what are you going to do about it? If you have not taken the opportunity to subscribe to the Messy Leadership Podcast, I hope you will take a few moments to do that now. This is a simple way for you to express your support of the podcast. And additionally, if you found any value from the content in this specific episode, please consider sharing with other messy leaders you know. Who knows? We might start a messy leadership revolution together. On a related note to the content featured in this episode of the podcast, if you've never visited the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial in Washington, D.C., let me say it is worth every moment of the time it takes for you to get there. The sculpture in the memorial is called Out of the Mountain of Despair, a Stone of Hope, and it's carved from pink granite. The stonework is truly stunning with the image of MLK stepping forward from the mountain. And the way the memorial is designed with the cherry blossom trees all around is remarkable. The memorial was dedicated in 2011 and is located in West Potomac Park across the Tidal Basin from the Jefferson Memorial. The whole memorial inspires reverence to the highest degree. And just a quick reminder, the music featured in every episode of the Messy Leadership Podcast is created by Adam Hendricks. You can find his albums on almost any music streaming service worldwide. The next episode from Season 1 of the Messy Leadership Podcast will focus on vulnerability. Thanks for listening. Let's get messy. Messy.